Great job. Wow. What a blessing it is to be here today. How'd you like those veterans down front, huh? And I want to say one other thing. All of those veterans down front couldn't have done it without their families, their, their wives, their children, their sweethearts that stood. I, I would like to ask any family member of a veteran, past, present, or, or about to enlist even, if you would join, we'd like to recognize and honor the families and the support team for each one of these. Would you stand, please? Wow. Wow. Way up there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a real privilege to uh, be with Lenexa Baptist Church on this very special occasion. You've made it a very special occasion for us. Uh, I know Chad, uh, he told a little, little more there. I am G Chris Taylor's older brother. Uh, I used to always call her my kid younger sister, and now it's payback time. So uh, we always have the older, is not my first name. It is Gary, but, but that does get inserted. But it's, it's been kind of fun, and it's uh, created a little family reunion for us. It's good to have my, my mom here. It's good to have my brother here as well. Scott, good to see you. And uh, I got uh, two of the three daughters. One was with us for the fourth, but uh, took one of those grandbabies back to Texas yesterday. It was kind of frustrating. Almost had everybody here. But I did want to mention my father-in-law briefly, uh, Colonel Jimmy Williams, uh, Air Force C-130 pilot in the Vietnam era. And uh, I tell you what, when I asked for Susan's hand in marriage, that was a scary day for this little kid because the Army was not in my future at all. And so we've enjoyed over the years the support and the, the military comradeship. But I just had to say publicly that I'm so glad I finally made colonel because I had been the junior officer in the family for years. It just took a long time to get where we, we needed to be. But uh, proud of each and every one of you that has made a contribution to our safety and our security. I mentioned to Susan sitting down front, can you believe there are people, probably better Christians than me, don't get to come into a place like this and don't know that the front door is secure from persecution or problems or trouble. And the First Amendment of our Constitution allows us to worship freely. And in the marketplace of ideas, we are able to hold the Word of God high and take a stand. What a privilege and a blessing. Thank you, veterans. I do have a slide that tells you a little about my future. I did hang up the uniform officially in October, and we are allowed for special occasions to put it on, and I figured that while it still fit, I was going to get the use out of it. These things are expensive, so uh, you know that. But I have a, a real passion and heart for chaplaincy. I didn't mention it as much in Eric's baptism, but in his testimony, it was uh, Chaplain Pringle, one of my friends, who was very instrumental uh, in his life. And then Chaplain Darren King, who had gone out to the Washington, D.C. National Guard, also a friend. And, and for us to serve together and to be there today, what a special moment that was. I made a little 501c3, and we're doing three things. The first one is, because we can wear the uniform, there are a lot of veterans who don't have a faith family, and a lot of times their family doesn't support them. And I believe that on a day when we lay a veteran to rest, we need to thank them for their service to our nation. And so I call that final tribute. And I'm willing to take a, uh, a few hours of my retired time to go and stand by that family. 
Also doing some training on uh, suicide intervention, this, the, the awareness and, and gatekeeper training, we call it, for if you know somebody, how do we get them to some resources that will help them? And then uh, we're resurrecting on the other side of the state line here, the old uh, Missouri militia goes back to Civil War days. It was disbanded in 1946, and we're standing that up again to do disaster response, and I'm uh, the... the I'm the only guy right now, but I'm the head guy for the chaplaincy to make that happen. So good, good things are going on, and appreciate the uh, ability to come and say hello again to friends at, at Lenexa. It is also my privilege today to pray for our national leaders, and as we've targeted uh, groups of elected officials that represent us all, uh, it's my privilege to pray for them. Would you bow your head with me, and let's, let's pray for those who serve at a national level. Heavenly Father, in our heart, uh, it matters, the responsibilities that we are given, and it is truly a sacred trust to be given the responsibility of national leadership in any and every role. We thank you for our leaders, Lord, because they don't hear thank you very much for the sacrifices that they make that most of us don't even know about. They safeguard the health and the safety and the well-being of our entire nation under their care, and that is a huge task. But even more, they respond to global realities, and they shape our leadership amongst all the nations, and we pray that you would grant them the strength and wisdom they need for that. Lord, we know that this requires an ability to tune out social media and what other people think, and to be able to tune in to the still small voice of values and convictions and courage that are prompted by your Holy Spirit. So we together pray that these men and women and all who advise them would have a firm grasp of realities that we face. We pray that they would have an extra measure of wisdom to understand these troubled times and our calling as a nation in this day. We pray that they would have the courage to act upon the principles of character and principles of truth instead of political expediency. I pray that you would bless all who stand for freedom this day at home and abroad. We pray it together in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. In June of last year, I took part in a ceremony unlike any other I'd been involved in, in the tiny town of Laclede, Missouri, up on Highway 36 between Brookfield and Chillicothe, is the birthplace of General John Jay, or Blackjack, Pershing, the American Expeditionary Force commander in World War I, 101 years ago. A flag-draped casket was carried by a funeral honors team to a World War I helmet that we had turned upside down and made into a bowl. And in that casket were eight containers 
labeled with the names of the eight American cemeteries wherein reside thousands of American soldiers. They rest beneath those rows of crosses immortalized in that poem. Inside each container was soil from that American cemetery. A Pershing reenactor in full uniform read the name of the cemetery and the number of dead buried there and handed the container to a friend of mine, Brigadier General Retired Larry Kay, who put that soil into the helmet and then mixed it all together. And then General Pershing symbolically cast that soil into a newly constructed planter in which they will cultivate a field of poppies to create a living connection with the lives lost and the lives lived in our nation's story a hundred years ago. And if you were present at the senior adult luncheon hosted by Brother Edmund Thomas last July, that was a review. So today I'd like to bring you the rest of the story. The garden planter in which they cast that soil is huge, and to fill it with healthy poppies is likely to take about three years. And so they put some of those original seeds in smaller planting boxes, and they bloomed this spring about Memorial Day. That's a picture of some of the actual poppies up in north-central Missouri. A beautiful first generation of flowers that will eventually fill that garden planter. But what we did not know a year ago is that David Shuey, the man who portrayed General John Pershing, had just been told that his cancer which had been in remission, had now come back with a vengeance. Those cells had lodged behind his esophagus, and we now understand why he was having difficulty speaking. He came to my friend, Denzel Haney, who's the site director, and said that he felt he was being silenced, and it was kind of depressing. But Denzel said, you know what? You can really speak uh, loud and long if you'll just take the time to write it down. And so David began to write what it meant to him to portray General Pershing, and his wife said that it was this activity that brought David out of his depression. We didn't know it that day, but casting that soil into the garden planter was the very last time that David Shuey personified General Pershing. He died soon thereafter. But David had written a letter to his wife stating that he wanted to be a part of the living tribute to the generation of our World War I veterans and the Pershing Historic Site. And so he requested that his wife ask Denzel if a portion of his ashes could be sprinkled over the garden planter where those poppies were going to grow. And that was a great relief to my friend Denzel because he was trying to muster up the courage to go to the wife and say, could we have a portion of the soil where David is laid to rest that he might always be among us? And so I think at this point, David's ashes have already been placed into the garden, but I'm very confident that he will be remembered every spring when the poppies bloom again. This summer, David's wife will be donating his notes, his books, and his uniforms to the state historic site in Laclede, Missouri. And I said, you know what, if you'll give me a call and let me know, I'd sure make that trip to be there again because I think that'd be a good day for a chaplain to be there. That leads me to our message today. 
That ended up being David Chewy's legacy, personifying uh, a great hero of America and then uh, uh, becoming a part of that. But I want to talk to us about our legacy today. I want to talk about a legacy that matters. It was General Douglas MacArthur who famously said, old soldiers never die, they just what? No, they don't. We pass away. And while it's true that we're honoring our first responders and our veterans today, um, that's a great thing. But it won't be long for any of us here, whatever our age. It goes so fast. Very soon, they'll be remembering us. What kind of legacy will we leave? So I have a short little topical message. It's not an exposition per se, but you're going to get a dose of Bible sprinkled through it all. But I want to share with you four simple ways that we all leave a legacy. We know we're going to. The question is, what kind of legacy will it be? The first way we leave a legacy is with our words. The large envelope arrived in the mail was from an old friend who'd moved out of state to be with another relative, but in that envelope were two other smaller envelopes and a note that said, please give these notes to my son and my niece after you do my funeral. I'll be home soon. She got to see her first grandbaby, but ovarian cancer was relentless, and it wasn't long before we gathered at that little crossroads church where I was the pastor, and we praised God for how this life had been lived well and how this person had really changed. There was a definite before Jesus, walking with Jesus, and now we knew she had gone to be with Jesus. And I invited the son and I invited the niece into the side office away from the auditorium. I said, here, these are for you. And I just stood by quietly as she opened up those letters written uh, while there was the opportunity and the tears flowed and we had a family hug that just said thank God we can make a difference in our lives. Jesus had died on a Friday but the tomb was empty by Sunday morning and in the gospel of Luke chapter 24 it talks about two disciples that very day resurrection Sunday walking to Emmaus and you remember the story how Jesus came alongside, but he didn't let them know who it was just yet. And he said, oh, let me explain what's going on. And they got to the place, and, and in the breaking of bread, Jesus was recognized, and he left them to, to go tell the good news to other folks, I guess. But they looked at each other, and this is, this is the perfect pastor's text. Did not our hearts burn within us while we walked together in the way? And he opened the scriptures to us. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that the words you speak to the people you love while you are walking along the road of life with them matter so much. Whether you say them, whether you write them down, the words you say makes their heart burn and becomes a part of your legacy. We've all had moments where we didn't say the right thing. Sometimes we say things like, you're no good. Well, why can't you do anything right you, you sometimes are such a bother in my world. What a horrible legacy to leave. And you know how it is. One good mistake makes up for about 2,000 times we did it right. But let's let people hear positive words out of our life. I love you. You can do this. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. It's going to all work out. Way to go. Great job. You're going to solve this problem you'll do the right thing. The smart people tell us that there are five messages we need to leave behind in our words. The first one is forgive me. 
forgive me. I wasn't perfect. The second is, I forgive you. The third is, I love you. The fourth is, thank you. And the fifth is, goodbye. It's important for us to close our lives and set the tone of the legacy by saying those five things. The second way we leave a legacy is the deeds that we do. Actions speak louder than words, and grandma was always right. Andrew Carnegie is quoted as saying, I listen to what a man does more than what he says. And there's another popular quotation out there. What you do speaks so loudly I cannot hear what you say. In Acts chapter 9, the apostle Peter went to a grieving family. Uh, Dorcas was a widow within the church, and she was great with a sewing machine. And so she made all these tunics and all these garments. And when Peter came to provide some pastoral care on that home visitation, they pulled out those souvenirs that Dorcas had left them and said, see the way she loved and cared for people. What a blessing she was to our lives. You may have heard the story. It was in southwest Missouri down by Springfield about a police officer who was filmed taking a lady uh, from uh, clearing in the woods, putting her in the squad car and going to Walmart, which is a little unusual. But when you learned the rest of the story, what was going on there was dad and mom had said, hey, kids, guess what we're going to do all summer long? We're going camping. What they didn't tell them is that Dad has lost his job, and they'd been kicked out of the house where they were couch surfing from other relatives. And the only shelter they had left was a tent. And that campground that they were at was a homeless encampment back in the woods just outside of town in Springfield. And that police officer was called, and he saw the situation, and he took Mom to Walmart and used his own credit card, and he bought them food, and he bought them water, and he bought them baby wipes, which are field-expedient showers, and bug spray. He paid for that out of his own pocket. And he also called family services, and he said, I want your help in getting a bus ticket for this family because they have more relatives up in the Kansas City area. We need to move them out of where they are into where God's going to bring them in the future. You don't hear about that very often. Timothy said, the sins of some men are quite evident going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow afterwards. Likewise, also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. The words we say, the deeds we do, the possessions that we manage. And I'm talking, ladies and gentlemen, not about how much you got, but how well you use it. See, the widow had two mites, and she put it in the offering plate. And the Pharisees came by with their big bags of cash, and Jesus said, you know the two? Who's the righteous one there? It's the gal who had a little, but her heart was in the right place, and she used what she had in a good way. Esau sold his birthright, on the other hand, for a pot of stew, and Judas sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. It's not how much, it's how well you use it. J.W. Hopper was a Civil War veteran down in Mount Vernon where I pastored. 
And he ended up becoming the Lawrence County clerk. So if you go into the old part of the courthouse, you get to see some of that stuff. And his picture's there on the wall. But he was also one of the big dogs at the First Baptist Church. He was the Sunday school director. Now, at First Baptist Church in the 1870s and 1880s, there were only two jobs you got elected to. One was the Sunday school director, and the other job was the guy who held the horses out at the hitching post outside. The pastor, he was a circuit-riding guy, and he showed up every now and then. But J.W. Hopper lived his life. He cared about teaching Bible study, and he cared about the proclamation of the gospel. And if you go down to the Lawrence County Courthouse, and I did this, I pulled his will, I made a photocopy, and it says, I, J.W. Hopper, have placed my eternal faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm okay. But I want to divide the physical things of this life, and I'm going to give this to my kids, this to the family, and I hereby give, devise, bequeath, that, I don't know any more legal language than that, the First Baptist Church, $200 to be put at interest to be used toward paying the salary of said church. And through time, I wanted to reach out and hug J.W. Hopper. He was taking care of the preacher at First Baptist Church. That was a good thing, I thought. But then I said, where's that money? Where'd it go? And I found out as we studied the history of our church and we went through, uh, we had the original furnace. It was a, a, a candle and a fan. So when the furnace broke, we borrowed a little from the bequeathment in order to get a new furnace. And then there was a day in the 30s when we weren't sure if the doors were going to stay open or not, but there was a little money left, and so we borrowed about that, and we put it back in. And what we learned, lo and behold, is all the way until the late 50s and the early 60s, that $200 that had been supporting the church all that time was put into a fund that bought the vacant lot next to the building that we had. And that's the building or the lot on which they built the building that they are worshiping today in, in Mount Vernon, Missouri. Wouldn't it be great to know that your tithes, your offerings, the way you manage your stuff is making an impact for the kingdom of God a hundred years after we're gone? Well, we can do that if we'll just be smart about it and make that a part of our legacy. It's not about the stuff, folks, but what you do with the stuff that God gives you says a lot about your relationship with Him. And it also says how you will teach the people that God has given you how to be stewards of His grace and of His treasures. Well, Gary, this is all well and good, but truth be told, I'm not really good with words, and I haven't done anything really that significant, and I'm not resource endowed. I need a resource enhancement. I'm not thinking endowment at all. Well, you don't get out of today's sermon because I have a one-word answer about what God's legacy for you is. It's the word Lazarus. It's the guy, Lazarus, in John chapter 11. So I looked it up. Lazarus's name, boy, aren't you glad you got the name you got? You could have been named Lazarus. It means destitute of God's help or the one who depends on God to help him. Or to put it in the vernacular, helpless. Hey, let's get helpless. Let's see if he'll come not help. You know how that goes? So I was looking around. What words did Lazarus say? So you read the Bible, and all through, Peter's always, and Peter said, and James said, and Andrew said. 
There's no, and Lazarus said in the book. He didn't say anything. And then we say, well, what did he do? Well, we don't have a record of Lazarus doing anything. He's not even one of the helpers who got the baskets full of fish and bread after the great miracles. He didn't, he's not like Andrew who brought somebody else to Jesus. He didn't do anything. In fact, all we really know about Lazarus is his possessions. We think he had a house, but the truth is it was Mary and Martha who did the cooking and the cleaning there. And if you go back to Luke, it talks like it's Martha's house. So he may have been living off the sisters, so he doesn't say anything, he doesn't do anything, he doesn't have anything, and he's the greatest legacy that could possibly be said. And let me explain how. It was in that helpless condition that life happened all over Lazarus. He got sick and died. So what a great legacy. You get your name in the Bible, that sounds pretty cool, but I did nothing, I said nothing, I had nothing, I got sick and died. Wow. I'm impressed. But Jesus came, and he told Mary and Martha, he said, you roll away the stone out of the front of that. And he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus stood up and came out, and he was bound in the grave clothes the way they used to bury people back then, and he said, hey, cut that stuff off of him. He's the legacy. Now, here's what's amazing. He was such a legacy that when the chief priests were going to go to uh, Jerusalem and take Jesus out, they said in John chapter 12, they took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Lazarus, Mr. Helpless, was such a great threat to the New Testament world that they were going to take him out. Why? Because his testimony is our testimony, folks. We who were dead in trespasses and sins, have been quickened. We have been made alive through the power of the word of Jesus Christ. And we no longer walk around in a grave. We no longer walk around wrapped in grave clothes as we saw in Eric's baptism today. We died to that old kind of life and we are resurrected and we are walking in a new kind of life that only God can give us. And Satan hates that message and he'll try to take you out too. But I look at it and I go, you know what? All my bumbling around in life, all of the failures I've had, the greatest testimony I can leave my kids is, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus is my friend, and I walk in a new life because of him. No life is ordinary, says Henry Blackaby, when it's placed in the hands of our extraordinary God. Well, one of the privileges I had while I was the state chaplain across the border there was I got a request to go do a graveside service. And uh, I went, drove like four and a half hours to get to this little place. You get a piece of paper with the name. And as I finally found this cemetery, you know, on the iron gate over the top, well, the name of the iron gate matched the name on my, my page. And I said, man, this is the family 
burial. This is sacred ground to these folks. And when I got there, the daughter said hello to me, and she handed me one of these little American flags. You've seen them everywhere. They had handed one to every member of the family, and it was really kind of cute. You know, you get to see family dynamics there. There was the honor team. There was the bugler down the way. Here was a flag draped casket, and here's little Johnny. He's playing swords with his flag, and his shirt tail's coming out, and mother's fussing all over him, trying to tuck everything back in. His little sister just sitting there so sweet and nice and pretty and all. And they started this service, and they said, we'd like you to do the closing prayer. And I said, I'd, I'd be very honored to. And uh, all of a sudden, the daughter who was going to say this little speech she'd written, she breaks down in tears, and she's sobbing, and she says, here, I can't do it. You do it, chaplain. And I'm going, I'm adopted into the family. That's okay. And I don't remember it exactly but it went like this, what this family did, to pay tribute to the legacy of their World War II veteran. Honey, thanks for being my faithful partner. I know my pies weren't really that good, but you ate every piece. I loved it when you took me to town on Saturday night. You're the love of my life, and I miss you so already. And together as a family, they just did this. Dad, thanks for believing in me when no one else did. Thanks for bailing me out several times. Thank you for supporting my dreams, and I'll keep trying. Grandpa, I never bait a hook without thinking of you in that one fishing trip, and I still have the scar on my thumb from your pocket knife. Neighbor, your word and your handshake were gold, and you made our town a better place. Thanks. And I drove away there that day, and I said, that man left a legacy for his family to follow. And I got to tell you, folks, it doesn't always go with plan A. Plan A is pretty much out the window. That's why God sent Jesus, <laughs> okay? And I, I walk around these days, and I'm saying, I feel like the wacky new maid. I'm not the guy you wanted, but I'm the guy you got. But here's the really good news. God left us his words, his legacy for us. They're written in this book. And while God used to speak through prophets and angels and other ways, he's now spoken to us through his son, who is the living word, the very logos, the very person of God. God did mighty deeds. This book tells how God chose a father of faith in Abraham. And out of Abraham, he created a nation. And out of that nation came a Messiah that every nation might hear about Jesus Christ and follow him and become rightly related to our creator God once again, every tribe, every kindred, every nation, every tongue. God has left us his most treasured possession. We are his church. We are his people. We are his bride. We are his body. We are the living temple, the building of God. And God's testimony is this. This is what Paul wrote in Timothy. He said, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Hold 
forth the word of life. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly in him. I don't know your story. I don't know the story you want to tell. I don't know the story you're telling. But I do know that every one of us in this room today can make a change in our legacy. Where we've been out of whack, we can put it back in. We can renumber and reprioritize our heart. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to come on down, grab one of these pastors by the hand and say, I'm here to follow Jesus. If you've never been obedient in baptism, you need to nail that down. And you mean to make it say, I was like Lazarus. I was dead in trespass, but I'm alive in Jesus Christ. And I want the whole world to know. If you're not involved in a church home, you need to come and be a part of a growing family of Christ followers that loves him and will serve him here. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask our guys to begin our invitation. And when we stand, I want you to come and take your stand for Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us just as we are, but loving us so much that you don't leave us as we are or where we are. It's our desire, Lord. No matter what happens, we care about what happens to ha what happens, and we want that to be a testimony of faith and obedience and love and, and discipleship. May we respond to this word today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.